We've all got old stuff that we should toss, but an old 401k? Make sure it keeps working for you. A Fidelity Rollover IRA has no account fees or minimums to open. An easy-to-follow rollover process makes it simple to get started in under 15 minutes. Plus, you'll have access to a rollover specialist. Whether you've switched jobs or are just organizing your finances, learn more at fidelity.com slash rollover. Consider all your options and the applicable fees and features of each before moving your retirement assets. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE SIPC. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used. Because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know. It's Friday, December 7th, 2018, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds Up to Date. I'm Indre Viscontis. And I'm Kishore Hari. Anything catch your eye in the news this week? Yeah, so um, tomorrow, December 8th, is actually a major UN conference on migration in Morocco. And in anticipation of this event, um, the UCL Lancet Commission on Migration and Health has released a major report. And, and one of the things that the, reports does, that the report does is to bust a bunch of myths that a lot of us hold um, about migrants. Uh, like, what are we talking about here? Like climate change? Induced migration or or something else entirely? Yeah, no. So this is just, you know, it might, obviously, there are many different reasons why people move from one place to another. Um, but this sort of covers migration, you know, in general. There is uh, a focus on, on rising numbers of people crossing borders. And so that makes a lot of people think that this is a problem that is accelerating and, you know, that, that, that the numbers are increasing exponentially. But in fact, the actual population of international migrants has changed very little in the last uh, 30 years. So in 1990, it was about 2.9% of the world's population. In 2017, it's 3.4%. So in terms of... In terms of raw people, that's a lot of people, but not necessarily so much so that we notice a dramatic difference. That's right. That's right. So I don't know that we can say necessarily that climate change has so far has already, you know, caused a huge increase in in the number of people migrating. It seems like the number is is increased a little bit. Um, And of course, that the as the world's population has increased, the actual number of people has increased. So it might feel that there are are many more. Um, But in terms of the reasons why people migrate, you know, they're still largely related to um, you know, laborers who are moving around. Um, students is a, is obviously another big uh, proportion of people, but a much smaller proportion are refugees and asylum seekers. And of course, uh, since we hear about them in the media all the time, we sort of overemphasize or, or, or overestimate the, the, the amount of um, asylum and refugee seekers. How much of that overestimation is just driven by narrative and storytelling? Uh, because when we when I hear stories about uh, immigration and migration, it's usually told through this sort of ideological political lens. Uh, but I rarely hear numbers. Um, so did this report kind of tackle that issue? Like, do we have strong data uh, around the, these topics and they're just not being told in the in the narratives and stories we see in the media? 
Yeah, I mean, that seems to be the case. I mean, this this report includes two uh, original studies that they also conducted in addition to meta-analyses. And so there, there does seem to be, you know, and of course, this is something that uh, governments are interested in keeping track of, right? So we do have ways of measuring and we do have numbers out there. Um, and so let me just get a little bit more uh, in depth into what the report found. Um, it turns out that refugees make up a larger uh, percentage of the total population in countries that are low income compared with high income, which is of kind course. of surprising. Well, it's well, kind of surprising if you think about like, you know, this idea that refugees are only coming to high income countries, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, so uh, refugees are just seeking refuge anywhere. Correct. Well, it, they're that's not necessarily right. going after a specific destination. Oh, that's yeah. different than what I would expect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, we do see that higher income countries have a greater, have seen sort of a greater rise in the number of, of international migrants, but that the majority of this rise is actually driven by students who pay for their own education um, or labor migrants who actually contribute to the economy. In fact, um, there's one number in there that says something like for you know, each percentage point increase in migrants in in a high income country, the gross domestic product per person uh, increases by 2%. <laughs> so, you know, essentially, migration is making those countries richer. And, and just so we have perspective on this, these numbers that you're talking about from this UN report, um, is this just a, a one-year uh, look back, or are we talking about a, a multi-year, pretty well-validated, consistent um, uh, sort of set of data here? Yeah, no, it looks like they're actually, you know, reporting or on evidence that they've d- collected over the last twenty-seven years, so all the way back since nineteen ninety, and they're and they're making these comparisons, but they have data points from, you know, all of these different years. Um, I, I would highly recommend people who are interested in it to actually read this report. It's, it's on The Lancet. It's free. Uh, and it has a lot of images, a lot of graphics. So it's it's really pretty easy to digest. Um, but, you know, one of the other kind of myths that that I think, you know, particularly in our show, we're interested in, in um, you know, finding the truth out about is whether or not migrants bring disease, right? That's one of the arguments that people sometimes make um, that, you know, we need to close our borders because our health is being impacted. Uh, And that's one of the things that this study actually found uh, that, you know, that there's really no evidence backing that up. Um, You know, in fact, it seems that um, international migrants in these high income countries have lower rates of mortality compared to general populations across the majority of disease categories. Um, so and and it makes sense if you think about like who is it that's able to travel that far and, you know, overcome the adversity of where they came from. It's people who are generally healthy. Right. If you're if you're not very healthy, you're not going to be able to leave a difficult situation. Um, and the and this is mortality estimates that that come from 15 more than 15 million migrants from 92 countries. So very international. You know, I saw somebody uh, snarky who I think was from the CDC. Don't quote me on that uh, on Twitter, say that the migration that we have to worry about that brings disease is not from human refugees. It's from mosquitoes. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I mean, I can that's see the that. one to keep track of. 
Yeah. So the, there are only two ins- exceptions. Uh, so, you know, there was there was, uh, you know, in, in the majority of diseases that they studied, there was no, you know, there were no increase. In fact, if anything, there were there were there were less of them within the migrants, except for infections like um, viral hepatitis, tuberculosis and HIV. Um, and then external causes where migrants had increased rates of mortality from things like assault, which makes sense, too, especially yeah. if they're asylum seekers. And, um, and if they're coming from under-resourced countries, we know there's higher incidence of HIV, higher incidence of TB, partially because there's no treatment regimens available mm-hmm. in those under-resourced countries. So that also lines up with what we'd expect. And also, it's not like these individuals come and then in, inf- infest the host populations. In fact, it, a couple of studies that they mentioned show that, in fact, the, the risk of transmission of these infections is elevated only within the migrant communities themselves and not, you know, to the host population, um, you know, which which is interesting. And, and that probably, you know, is related to the fact that in these migrant, you know, you have a, these, a lot of migrant people then, you know, stay within their community or, you know, in the case of um, asylum seekers, like in a particular physical location um, and and not necessarily kind of, you know, interact with the host population as much, say, as as a person who uh, is a native in the country. Yeah, which speaks to a different kind of problem, which is the lack of integration uh, mm-hmm. that occurs once they do arrive. So one more myth that I wanted to uh, touch on and then I'll let our listeners, uh, you know, read the um paper themselves, which is this idea that, um, in, you know, migrants come to a host country and then they have a lot of babies. Um, it turns out that's also not supported by the evidence uh, that, in fact, uh, most uh, migrant families uh, are capped with at two children. Uh, and and that, that's barely, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the replacement numbers, barely over the replacement. I think it's like 2.1 kids per migrant family. Um, so anyway, I thought it, th- these were really interesting Uh, findings, and I encourage people to read more about them at The Lancet. Today's episode was brought to you by Madison Reed. In 2013, Amy Arrett founded Madison Reed. It's named after her daughter. The company is on a mission to revolutionize the way women color their hair. My wife is an avid user of Madison Reed because of the incredible convenience it offers. Salon quality hair color without the salon booking experience. You don't have to wait weeks for an appointment and it's not nearly the cost because you can experience beautiful multi-dimensional hair color made in Italy delivered to your door on your schedule for under $25. Join the hundreds of thousands of women who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. And Madison Reed would like to honor Inquiring Minds listeners with 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with promo code MINDS. That's code M-I-N-D-S. So what, what caught your eye? So there's some established... Uh, what I would consider almost uh, settled scientific things that we just call theory in this world, like evolution and gravity. Mm -hmm. And I would put one other in there that I always thought was pretty settled. It's by this gentleman named, uh, let me make sure I get the pronunciation right, Albert Einstein. And so when it came (laughs) to his theory of relativity, I always thought that was, you know, pretty well settled. Uh, Well, uh, a scientist um, out of Oxford University has uh, has come up with an alteration to Einstein's theory of general relativity that could have some interesting uh, effects on our understanding of our universe. So 
We know about dark matter and dark energy. We don't see it, but you've heard of it, right? We know it takes mm -hmm. up almost together that would account for 95% of the of the known universe. And we know about it because uh, scientists have uh, seen like different wiggles and wobbles of galaxies. Uh, and uh, in so doing, they see that they're kind of being pushed and pulled in a way that can't be explained by the, the gravity of visible items in the universe. So they've postulated there's something dark out there uh, to do this. Well, this theory has been in search of an explanation uh, ever since it, it first came about. And we really haven't come to any satisfying conclusion. Well, a, a scientist at Oxford proposed the idea that might solve this if we're willing to consider a negative mass. Hmm. What? <laughs> yeah, this, <laughs> this, this is going to be a really kind of a mind-bending thing that we're about to go on. I'm so, willing to consider it, Kishore. I don't know if I'm capable, but I'm willing to consider it. <laughs> well, let's start with something sort of simple, like there is this fundamental property that seems to happen in our universe that certain things have a positive and negative charge, like electrons, negative charge, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, protons, positive charge. Like we think of char uh, of this like plus minus relationship as something that exists, but we don't assign that for mass. We like mass is neutral, but it seems like almost other, every other fundamental characteristic of the universe seems to have this this kind of inverse relationship to each other. So why not mass? So that's not a great explanation <laughs> or, a, <laughs> a, um, or a justification, I'll say, but like, let's start there. Okay. okay. So uh, <laughs> is this funny? Because it, it's, so, it, it's so mind bending to think about this, but part of the idea is if you think about negative mass as being the inverse of what mass is. So when you accelerate mass, it moves away from you. So negative mass, if it gets accelerated, will accelerate towards you. So think about pushing on an item and it comes back towards you uh, in terms of acceleration. So this would have interesting properties in the sense of if you think about if there's like a field of negative mass, like a fluid of negative mass out in the universe, it would kind of push the stuff that is that has positive mass closer together. So if we imagine the universe, which is mostly this sort of black, empty space, as filled with sort of a ripply negative mass fluid, that fluid helps keep those objects that have positive mass kind of in the place they are. But as that negative mass moves and the positive mass moves, it could essentially expand away from the center that we associate with like something like the Big Bang. And that sort of pervasion through space of this negative mass fluid uh, could explain why certain galaxies stay together um, in the ways that they do when we would think the gravitational influences of their neighbors would rip them apart. It could mm -hmm. also explain, uh, it could also come into alignment with our understanding of the expansion of the universe because as this sort of ripples out from the center, um, all of the mass in the universe is still moving away from the center and this negative mass wouldn't sort of push it back to its um, uh, to its natural conclusion. Now, this is just a, a bizarre idea, um, but there is a way that you can actually think about this. And there has been released some visualizations on YouTube that you can look at that give you like a better picture of how this could work. Really, what this is is this is about math. <laughs> That's what we're doing is trying <laughs> out a trick of math to explain 
how things we observe in the universe don't line up with with um, certain theories. And this might create a link between uh, what we have observed so well in general relativity and what we're seeing in quantum mechanics and uh, and the emergence of things like string theory to explain elements of that um, of that universe. Cool. All of this being said, it's nearly impossible to test this. There are some plans underway. Um, uh, there's a, a, a telescope array called the Square Kilometer Array, the SCA telescope, um, that is evaluating the distribution of galaxies throughout the history of the universe. And that will help um, align some theoretical predictions of, of this negative mass idea uh, with what the standard uh, understanding is. And, and if it aligns, maybe this will get some momentum and actually continue forward. <laughs> but I thought it was one of the more interesting ideas uh, why not a negative mass to explain dark matter? And that's why we can't see it because it's constantly running away from us or running <laughs> oh, yeah. towards us depending on, on what you're doing to it. Why not magical unicorns? <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to get the feeling I understand why you went into neuroscience and not physics. <laughs> I, I do like testable theories. Uh, and I'm sure you know at some point we'll figure out how to test us and, and then I'll be a little bit more compelled. But at the moment, it is, it is mind-bending to think about it. I'll, I'll give you that for sure. So that's it for today's episode. Join us on Monday as we release another episode of Inquiring Minds. I'm Adriva Scontis, and we'll see you next week. Bye. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.amic slash you know.